This week we'll be discussing an inevitable part of being a pet parent. At some point, we have to say goodbye. I'm Dr. Karen Becker, and this week is Pet Grief Awareness Week. Every day I'll be interviewing pet loss experts, grief counselors, and professionals who have dedicated their lives to helping people just like you before, during, and after the loss of an animal's soulmate. We'll be covering all of the topics that gives heartbroken humans the best support. Anticipatory grief, how to know when to say goodbye and what to expect, and how to manage grief, guilt, and forgiveness. We'll also be talking about ways you can help celebrate your animal's life and memorialize your pet. I hope you find today's interview helpful as you journey through your grief. I'm Dr. Karen Becker, and joining me today is Colleen Rowland. She's a pet loss grief specialist, and she's actually the current president of the Association for Pet Loss and Bereavement. And she's joining me today to talk about some very important topics that pertain to all of us, because we all have experienced loss and grief and how well we're coping or if we're not coping or how we could cope better are the topics that we're going to be discussing today. So thank you so much, Colleen, for joining me. Thank you for having me on today, Dr. Becker. This is a, a, a topic that is very near and dear to my heart. And um, I am just so pleased to be able to get the word out that there is help available should somebody suffer the loss of a pet. So I am also so thankful uh, in that I feel like in the last 20 years, Colleen, thankfully, the tools and the resources and even the ability to talk about pet loss and grief and grieving is becoming not just more accessible, but we have tools that have become available that haven't been there previously. And that has been a blessing for me, not just personally with my Mm -hmm. own grief journey, but certainly for my clients. So can we talk a little bit about how, first of all, let's talk a little bit about your role, your goals as president of the Association for Pet Loss and Bereavement. Let's talk a little bit about, obviously this is a topic that you're fully and wholeheartedly passionate about. Mm-hmm. How, how did that come about? Okay, our founder, Dr. Wallace Seif, um, actually started the Association for Pet Loss and Bereavement back in 1999. And the, the backstory to that is that he had suffered um, through the death of his own pet, a small dachshund that he loved immeasurably in uh, about 1993. And um, he was a psychologist as well and did not understand the depth of grief that he was feeling. And so he scouted around and looked around for um some resources to help him, and there wasn't anything. So what he did was he wrote a book um, in 1995 uh, called The Death, or sorry, The the, um, Loss of a Pet, and it was a coping guide. And it was a guide that he would have liked to have seen when he was going through the loss of his pet. Um, As a result of that book and the response to it, um, he was at a signing at, at um, I think it's called Brooks and Noble. Is it uh, Barnes and Noble? Barnes, Barnes and, Noble. and Noble. Thank you. I'm a Canadian, so I don't really know that. that <laughs> it's it's but, your uh, chapters, your chapters. It's my chapters. That's right. And so he was at that, and and a number of people had read the book, and they were like really excited about it. 
And they said, why don't you start a pet loss support group? He did that. Um, the next thing that they wanted him to start an association, he did that. So in 1999, the um, Association for Pet Loss and Bereavement came into being. And um, it, the, the World Wide Web at that time was pretty well and still in its infancy. Um, it probably got started really going in, uh, in, I guess, 1993. He started a chat room, an online chat room, mm. free to anyone to come in and help them. And it took off from there. Uh, mm. Today, we've helped over, I think, 62,000 chatters. So we're very, very proud of that statistic. Yes. Yeah. And that that's amazing. And what a resource, Colleen, just uh, amazing. Yeah. Do you, do you have people at all? Do you have people that have decided 10 years after the loss of their pet, they're ready to address it? And the people who maybe their dog or cat just died yesterday, do you, is it just for everyone struggling no, no, regardless of circumstance or animal, if they have pain, they can, they can visit the chat room. If they have pain of any, of any type with regards to the loss of a pet, they can visit our chat room free of charge. Mm. It's open um, six days a week. And my goal is to get it to seven days a week. Um, we've just added a, an online um, support group for our members but anybody is allowed to go into the chat room and talk with our professional chat hosts. Some of them um, have been there for 10 years and upwards. They're all professionally trained, um, either through like a, a social work designation, um, any type of helping degree designation, uh, but also through our own APLB pet loss um, grief specialist course. So yeah. important. And so what an amazing service. Thank you. Thank you for providing that. Colleen, do you find that, do you, has your experience been similar to mine that as a practicing veterinarian, I deal with a tremendous amount of grief. In fact, I have kind of a joke in my family. Some people have like retainers, uh, uh, you know, they have a, like a, attorneys on retainer. They just have this ongoing pay schedule. That's me with grief counseling. It's just this ongoing process mm -hmm. because I have new grief in my life all the time all the because time. of my job. Yeah. Uh, and so I just keep up just as I keep up with my physical wellness routine. I'm a huge believer in mental wellness and health. And I think mm -hmm. proactively addressing grief and anticipatory grief for me personally has been really important. Can you talk a little bit what, when I have seen my clients start into anticipatory grief, they oftentimes don't know, they don't know that, that they're they in don't it. Know. Yeah. Can, can yeah. we talk a little bit? And I, I only know this because of my professional help. And now mm -hmm. I can recognize that I, for many years before I started into grief counseling, grief therapy, I didn't know that I was having anticipatory anxiety about my job and my own animals. But let's mm -hmm. talk a little bit about that because I think that those are the seeds of fear and anxiety and guilt mm -hmm. and shame and all those things that can cascade out of then an, an animal dying that never get addressed. Yeah, I, you're, you're spot on there. Um, as far as anticipatory grief, Veterinarians have my utmost respect because they are one of the few um, 
professions that see death on such a regular basis. And what what I think the um, the client misses out on sometimes is that the vet will often see that relationship through from puppy or kitten or whatever from the very young age right through until the euthanasia and that they also suffer all of those stages even though they are participating in the final kindness act of euthanasia so um, anticipatory grief for your clients um, it's very important that they get help for that as soon as possible because that will help them go through the stages of grief when the pet ultimately dies okay and you know the use the euphemisms of passing away and so forth it is death and death is part of the life cycle and if we can help people um, remove the stigma that I think a lot of Western society places on death and see this as a logical completion of that beautiful life cycle, it is not going to be as scary, as sad, as devastating as it might otherwise be. So let's so. talk a little bit about how, for listeners or readers that may not be aware fully of what this, what these stages of grief are. Why is it important? So first of all, you know, why is it important for any pet lover owner right now, maybe when their animal's thriving and no problems, maybe now is the time to start learning about what those stages are because they're coming and, and, and we can proactively. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so, so what are those stages and, 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 and is there anything we can do now preemptively other than to know they're coming, what other work needs to be done beforehand, emotionally, internally to help prepare us for what's coming? Yeah. Um, oh man, that's a, that's a good question. So first of all, the stages of grief, knowing what they are in advance will, um, as Dr. Saif pointed out so brilliantly, they will provide you a roadmap of what to expect when the death actually happens. And if you can know what's coming down the pipe, you will be more prepared for it. Your feelings of, of extreme grief and, and the stages that you're going through will be validated. Um, a lot of people, when they if the, when the animal first dies, they feel like they're going crazy. They, they actually feel like that because they can bounce back and forth between all of these very, um, these very uh, emotional feelings. You know, um, they can have suicidal ideation. They can um, feel depression. They can feel like so many different things. So if we can tell people, this is what's going to happen. It's all normal. Not to say that it's abnormal, but it is normal feelings and not to take away from the uniqueness of the situation or the depth of grief. These are all normal things that people need to go through in order to process the grief. If they don't, 
And if they press it down, it will come out in another way. And, you know, you raised at the very beginning, um, historically, up until about, say, 20 years ago, it was very shameful to admit that you cared for that dog, cat, horse, lizard, whatever, more than you did for a human being, Mm -hmm. mother, father, the number of clients that I have seen who have, it's almost like apologetically, they will say, I loved Freddie more than I loved my brother. Like when he died, I didn't feel this, this grief. So if you can know what is coming down uh, the road for you, it is going to help you. And, and I agree with that. And, and in recognizing that the first thing we need to do is be kind in recognizing that the, this emotional roller coaster that we're on is normal for grief and mm-hmm. that we can let ourselves off the hook about what, what we think we're supposed to be feeling or what we're supposed to be doing and just accept the feelings that are coming, but knowing where they're coming from in terms of these stages of grief can be really helpful to reaffirm that you're not going crazy and that Mm -hmm. it's okay to bounce from anger to sorrow, to frustration, to sadness, and that it just being around all day and all Mm -hmm. those different emotions, that's, that's very normal. Mm -hmm. Uh, But then, then what, if we're able to identify, okay, I have this overwhelming wave of emotions what do I do with it? Mm-hmm. Then what you do is you look for help to get you through that. But, uh, you know, even talking about what the stages are, and maybe it's a good time now to just go through the, the five stages that I particularly follow and um, I believe are, are um, very helpful. So normally when a, um, when a pet dies, uh, the first stage, and it is always the first stage, is shock, disbelief, and sometimes denial. And that is, um, that's always like a, a, an anchor for um, the first stage. And it doesn't last very long. It is our mind's way of protecting us from the trauma that we're feeling. So for a little while, your mind short circuits and it can't deal with anything else. And it it, it may even go into a stage of disbelief, which is your mind's way of saying, this really didn't happen. If it gets to denial, that means that you've gone into like a fantasy world that, you know, if I do this, this, and this, then my pet will still be alive. Most people, if they get to a denial stage, will come out of it very soon. But shock, disbelief, and denial are always part of that first stage. The next one then, um, and stages two, three, and four, a person will um, bounce back and forth between them. And it's going to feel like you're on a roller coaster of emotion. Um, Some people, depending on what their experience is or 
what role the animal filled in their life, they may miss out on one stage and lean heavily into another stage. But again, these are all um, stages that have been recognized and, and documented. So stage number two is anger, distancing, and alienation. Unfortunately, that's our, because they are so intimately involved in, um, in the process, oftentimes they are um, pretty good targets for that anger. Would, would you say that yes. that happens? Yes. Yeah. yes. And so they're not only dealing with the fact that they are performing the euthanasia, but they are also often the target of some really strong emotions that the client is feeling, not only the vet, but the vet techs, um, the receptionist, you name it. Yes. Um, also uh, open to that anger are um, people within a family who don't deal with the death in the same way. Often, often people within a family have different relationships with that animal. So sometimes they are the target of the anger. Um, distancing and alienation uh, can happen if you uh, work in, a, say, a, an organization and that loss is not recognized by a um, supervisor, manager, whatever, and they can be the target. It's good for people to remember that this is a very, very emotional time. And you want to just be careful that you don't burn any bridges. Yeah. Um, so be aware that anger is going to be a part of it and try and, and deal with it, recognize it, and know that it's there. Um, the next stage is guilt. And guilt is just anger turned inwards. Mm. And I don't mean just, I mean, it is anger turned inwards. And um, in a lot of cases, uh, that guilt can be uh, merited or unmerited. Unmerited is when you've tried to do everything for the animal and euthanasia is the best possible choice. And in most cases, the guilt that a person will feel is self-imposed. Mm -hmm. It's not, we animal people love our animals. We love them and we would do anything for them. So Sometimes what the mind does is it makes up things to feel guilty about because it's its way of hanging on to the animal. Hmm. Um, with a merited case, and that could be, um, for example, somebody leaves their dog tied up outside and a dog comes by and, you know, they get into a fight and it, it is killed. While it is their fault, technically, accidents happen. Yeah. And it, they happen every single day. And that's why they're called accidents. And so regardless of whether it is, you know, merited guilt, we have to have compassion and self-forgiveness mm -hmm. for ourselves as we go through this, this grieving process. Uh, the fourth stage is depression. And 
I'm talking about depression here in terms of uh, you feel great sadness and you may not want to get out of bed. Um, you have made a, um, a pact almost with your animal that you will look after them in sickness and in health. And so when that bond is broken through death, there is going to be a, an overwhelming sadness. Where it gets to be um, ongoing on a regular basis, and as a pet loss grief um, specialist, there are signs that it is clinical depression and they must get help through, through professional counseling. So I will say that, um, that in this uh, fledgling profession, uh, we do often um, refer people on, and there are a number of reasons for that. Yeah. So those stages two, three, and four, a person can bounce back and forth between. The last one, and this is the anchor um, for the final stage, and that is reaching a stage of resolution. And this is marked by not letting go of the memory of your animal, but letting go of this, that overwhelming sadness that fills your heart yeah. during the first stages. It is being able to recognize that that animal gave you a part of themselves and that is something death can never take away. It is always going to be there residing in your heart. Mm -hmm. And they actually, um, they contribute to the person that you are because of that unconditional love. Colleen, is it, how common is it, which has been my experience, that you, you're working on acceptance, you, you have accepted many aspects, but as you begin to have those wonderful memories start to come up, you instantly go back into guilt or you instantly go back into anger. Is, that has to be incredibly common because I think most people I know are stuck kind of with some improvements in their evolutionary work towards trying mm -hmm. to find healing, but they're not done because they're instantly triggered back into stage two, three, or four, and then they'll reach five. And then they go, it is like this wheel of almost being complete, but not quite. If they go back into the stages, then my suggestion would be that they reach out for help. Um, again, I, there are only certain people. Um, okay, so there are classifications of bonding in, um, in as we look at it. And the people who will come to a pet loss grief counselor or specialist will be those people who are um, profoundly bonded or excessively bonded. So if you have gone through the death of your pet and you get to what you think is resolution, but you bounce back into, um, into the other three stages, my suggestion would be to see somebody 
to talk about it because you have to process it. Mm. You can go back, like once you reach resolution, you can still have teary episodes about your your lost one. Absolutely. But to go back and be re-triggered means to me that they haven't fully processed yep. that loss. Yep. Yep. Okay. So doing and that I, in and I think that that's really important to acknowledge because yeah. I think some people, when they just feel that maybe five or six years after the loss of an animal, they feel a, a little bit of relief in the sense that maybe they've got, maybe they're in between stage three and four, they feel a little relief and that's enough for them to just stay there, not necessarily continue healing because mm-hmm. it's so much better than the shock and, and anger or, absolutely. and so they're, they're, they've taken one or two steps, but then they're stuck. And that, that is also not where I, where I think we're meant to be, where we, we need to be able to not have pain on a daily basis. And so if you still are having pain to me that I'm not a grief loss specialist, but that tells me that you, you still have some work to do. Absolutely. You've that, that is it. You need to process that. And, and, you know, moving on from that point, what if you have taken on another animal into your life, Mm -hmm. you can't Mm -hmm. fully commit to that animal until you process your feelings over the last one. There is room in your heart for so many animals, but you have to be able to um, resolve your feelings. Yeah, you do. Yeah. And, and in addressing your feelings, it's some of the, I mean, it's just plain heart. I think the reason why so many people stuff emotion versus addressing it is it is not easy to address pain. It's just not easy. And so it just isn't. ignoring it or, you know, d- is, or drowning it out in some dysfunctional or unhealthy habit. That's what North Americans oftentimes do, yeah. but it's not wise or healthy for our own bodies or our other family members, members, including the other animals that we bring into our life. I have had so many clients rush out the day that their beloved Uh, dies and get another one. And the, actually the, the trauma, the emotional trauma that comes out of that, it just compounds the pain. Yes. Yes, it does. In, in um, Dr. Seif's book and what, and what we, we advise is that you take some time, you have to process your grief. Um, And of course, there's always the exception to the rule. However, by and large, you need to be able to feel well enough internally and healed well enough over the loss of that pet before you move on to another one. It's not fair to them. It, It is not fair to them. And there are ways to do that. There are, there are, specific coping mechanisms and um, concrete things that you can do to help you get through those times. There are, there are, and they work. We know that. And I think that that's an important piece is that if, if we have listeners or readers receiving this information and think, I feel very vulnerable and very uh, uncomfortable doing this, but I'm thinking about doing it 
What if it fails? What if I have more pain? I think it's really important to remind anyone hurting right now that it, you can work towards feeling better. And it, if you put the commitment into, to what's necessary to address the pain, there is positive outcome. It's not, you don't have to stay in how you feel right now forever. There is hope of feeling better. That's like the most important thing that I can stress is sometimes we think I'm just going to resolve to feel this way forever because I don't trust that I'm going to feel better if Mm -hmm. I decide to address my pain. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Another way that um, people can look at it too is you had that very, very special bond with that animal. You could communicate with them just by looking at them. You knew everything about them. They knew everything about you. It's just that strong, strong bond. And if you asked yourself, what would they want for you? Would they want you to be miserable for the rest of your life thinking about them? Or would they want you as a bereaved to acknowledge the loss know that you love them, you had the most unique relationship, unlike with anybody else, and to move on and share your gift of love with another pet in need. And I think if if people can start to reframe it um, in that way, not necessarily within the first couple of weeks of the loss, this is going to take some time. But if they can move towards that and know that there is happiness down the road, it's going to help them. Yeah, it's very important. And thank you. Thank you for offering those words of wisdom, because I think that a lot of people say, I'm not going to counsel, or I'm not going to address it because that stuff doesn't work. And what I would say is, you know, if you, if you never have tried it, it won't work. Doing nothing results in no improvement. And so just being willing to think about addressing your, your mm-hmm. pain is an important first step, knowing that you will feel better if you are strong enough, if you are, if you're, if you can take that first step, it's an important first step towards feeling better down the road. Really important. So Colleen, what do you say? I have had this experience many times myself. Mm-hmm. It's incredibly frustrating oh, when you lose an animal to have people say, I just think about my own animals. People say, oh, Karen, if you would have had human kids, you would be able to put this in perspective or, oh. <laughs> uh, yeah. Or you're a veterinarian. You, aren't you used to this or it just it basically marginalizing or minimizing the fact that this is an animal and that mm-hmm. if, if it was a human, we'd be justified in mm-hmm. this outward overwhelming avalanche of grief, but we should put it in perspective. How, what are some words of wisdom from a professional for how we navigate that, those incredibly harmful and damaging words. And they are incredibly harmful and damaging. It was just a dog. Get another one. Come on. You've been moping around for the last two months. It's time to move on. 
So, okay, so there is actually a term for that and um, it's called disenfranchised grief. And what happens is that the person on the receiving end of those comments sometimes will then become ashamed. Um, they feel abnormal because they did love that animal so deeply and completely. And the animal, it, it was an unconditional love, which you cannot get <laughs> with, a, with another human being. Sorry, but it just doesn't, it, it's just not there. So being able to deal with people like that and, um, and have something to say to them is very important. There are three basic responses to somebody who says something like that to you. Um, the first one is get terribly upset, scream, shout, tell them, you know, they are, they don't know what they're talking about. That's not a good response. So that one's gone. Number two, you can be so taken off guard when somebody like that says something and denies your grief that you become tongue-tied and you don't know what to say, or you say something like, oh yeah, you're right, I should be past this. And then later on, you're kicking yourself because you know that that's just gonna make you angrier. Or you can have a response that resonates with you ready to say to people. And it could be something as simple as, it, now this is if they are not an animal person. You do not understand the depth of the bond that I shared with my animal companion. Please respect my grief and please respect my way of dealing with, with this loss that has impacted me so, so terribly. I'm asking you that as another human being. And what happens is that when you call them on it, they may not have realized what their words meant to you. And like, if you give them the benefit of the doubt, what you may be doing is instructing them and educating them yes. on the loss and what it means to you. So you're actually doing something beneficial there. Yeah, it, it actually becomes a teaching moment. Now it's hard when you are in grief, <laughs> it's really hard to be like, listen up, you cold hearted SOB. That is not the right response right now with what's happening. That, that was a wrong thing to say right now. That, that isn't beneficial either. Whereas if you can be the bigger person and not shut down and not be reactive and not swear or become volatile, if yeah. you can actually recognize that this kind of obliviously clueless person isn't trying to hurt you, they don't understand and out of their it. ignorance, right? Exactly. They're just making ignorant comments. And that's kind of what you want to say is why are you so ignorant? But instead, if you can take a deep breath and, and it does become a very powerful teaching moment and potentially that person won't, won't 
the next time they're in a situation where they can choose to be sensitive or they may stop and recognize, you know what, this person may be in a different situation than me. So I think using it as a teaching moment, but also having boundaries as you outlined is really good. Yeah. Yeah. It really helps you. um, And you will feel uh, empowered by having said something like that. And you said it, you've set the boundaries um, of what you will accept and what you won't accept. People who are not what I call animal people don't get it. They just, they just don't get it. They are oblivious to the love and companionship that um, the animal human bond brings. Uh, They don't get it and they never will. And yeah. that's unfortunate for them. Oh my God, can you imagine? Like, I know. What an empty like- life. That's what I, I know. And you know what I have said many times, it's probably incredibly rude, but many times when I am at, like, if I just have been caught off guard and I do not have a minute to be able to give my best teaching response, my go-to default response for my non-animal people that have said really hurtful things to me at my weakest point of pain is, you know, unfortunately the soulmate store, I just, you know, my soulmate died. I'm just going to zip back into the soulmate store and buy another, but you know what? They were all out and I'm sorry. And like when your husband or wife dies, maybe you could just zip into the husband's store and just grab a new one. Cause you know, you just, you can just replace them like a car or your carpet. It just, just do that. And you know, for, for non-animal people, they're like, Oh, I think she's trying to make a point. It's life is not replaceable. And the value and the relationship you have with that life is for some of us, wildly sacred. So having mm-hmm. anyone throw in their two cents about a relationship that they know nothing about, what they need to do is zip it. But when they open their mouth, at least being able to say something like, please, please don't say that to me is at least you defending your heart from more pain. Yeah, yeah, it is. And, and they can, uh, these people can even be within your own family. Oh, yeah. And, and I think that, like it is super hard to deal with that. Again, I've heard clients tell me in, um, I don't go down the personal road, but it, it happens so frequently mm-hmm. and for them to be given some skills to address that is so important. It it's is so important. So yeah. it's, it's really good. Say, really good. These are all really good practical tips for getting through situations that just are almost unbearable. And yet you're standing in front of a person you've, that you have to respond to. So this is really practical, tangible, good tips. Colleen, what are some other, just some, maybe some basic coping strategies that the association for pet loss and bereavement can offer us as grieving animal lovers, what, what are some, what are some of the other things, mm-hmm. tools that we can use? Okay. Um, number one, if you go to our website, we have a number of resources that are listed um, right there. We have information about um, the euthanasia process. We have self-help um, tips to help you get through it. We have um, an extensive directory of services for um, pet loss grief specialists. 
for pet loss grief counselors, for animal chaplains, for in-home euthanasia veterinarians. Mm. Um, we have that available. It is uh, in the United States. Um, there are Canadian uh, people in there as well. Good. There are people from Australia. So the directory is, is international. Um, there's the chat room. The chat room is amazing. You can go in there as somebody anonymously. You don't have to say who you are. Uh, you can go in and share your story. Mm. Even just talking about it and listening to what the host can help you with. Yeah. Um, even listening to the other chatter stories, you know that you're not alone that there are other people out there who are going through the same thing. It's not going to be exactly the same thing because all animals are unique, but there are certain threads that you can, um, you can feel better knowing about them. Um, also on the directory, the, the support groups, sometimes people feel more um like sharing if they are in a situation where they can look at somebody else and share their story. So that's available on the website. Um, Dr. Seif's book, The, uh, the Loss of a Pet, fourth edition, a phenomenal guide to helping you through, um, through your grief journey. Some practical things that you can do, surround yourself by animal people share your feelings, talk to them, tell them what you're thinking, express to them anything that you want to be. Look for those supportive people. Um, changing up your routine, especially right after um, your pet uh, dies, trying to do things at different times during the day when you would have walked or you know played with them on the couch or whatever try and change them up very slowly so that your heart has a way of dealing with the change, with that broken bond. Um, particularly helpful is writing a letter to your pet. And you don't have to do it all in one sitting, but what did you love about them specifically? And then you can go back and review it and revise it as often as you want. On the other side to that is writing a pet or writing um, a letter from your pet to you. What would they say? What would they want for you? What would they say about your, your level of care? And just writing down the, the process of putting pen to paper or fingers to the keyboard yep. um, is so therapeutic. And it's, it's been, you know, research shows that it is a very, very strong um, way to, to help um, getting through it. Yeah. You can put up a memorial on the, on a website. You can um, memorialize your pet through uh, building a shadow box. That's so cool. I love that idea. Uh, making a, a photograph album, having a, a, you know, a really nice um, place in your home that's dedicated 
to your pet. I, I had a client recently who was a, um, she was a police person in the States and she lost her dog and she had her dog had to be euthanized. And he was part of a therapy group and she did the most beautiful um, drawing, had a, a commissioned portrait. Mm. So there are all sorts of ways that you can memorialize what that relationship meant to you yeah. and what you shared. Yeah, that's good. Colleen, our listeners and readers uh, that maybe didn't catch the website, what's the full website where all of these resources and tools and and help is available? It is aplb.org. And that stands for the Association for Pet Loss and Bereavement. We're a nonprofit 501c3 organization. And um, we are there to help. We are there, we are experienced, we're caring, and it's a safe environment. Mm. I am so thankful that there are organizations with amazing people available to hurting souls now. And I'm so thankful that everyone listening or reading that may have unaddressed pain, they have these tools and resources available to them. And all they have to do is take the first step in starting their journey towards helping minimizing their pain by investigating some of these resources that your organization has made available. So I would encourage everyone, if you're listening or reading this, and if you think, you know, I, I'm, I'm interested in learning more about this, please visit the website and start learning and reading about what you believe would best resonate with you for what you can do to take that first step. And Colleen, thank you so much for your wisdom and your time and your commitment to walking alongside hurting humans to give them the opportunity for recovery. Dr. Becker, it was my pleasure. And thank you so much for allowing me to speak. Thank you. Thank you for watching this interview. I hope you came away with some important takeaways that will be helpful to you on your journey. This is a difficult topic to talk about for sure, but expanding your knowledge and educating yourself about the grief process will help you through it. We're so thankful you're taking the time to care for yourself in this way.